Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. or monthly or short tenancy shall issue to the tenant of such premises within seven days after the commencement of the tenancy. Right. Is there a situation where the court will say, I don't think your marriage has actually broken down beyond reconciliation, so go back. Yes, indeed. It has happened before. What the court usually recommends in these situations isn't that go back and marry, but go and seek counseling. People who stand in your way of developing your land, if you have acquired it, will be punished with minimum 10 years, maximum uh, 15 years. How else do we stop this canker? If you look at the 2772, mm. it's a person who purposed to make a grant of land without authority also commit an offense. Mm. When it comes to law, the schools have to differ. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the law. This is your legal light. It is your health law. I'm Samson Ladia Yanini. Every landlord of this is a what the, court, the law demands that the maximum rent advance you should take should be six months. There have got some incredible stories. You've probably never heard them before. If you are better than the coach, then you should have been the coach. We have knelt down to beg a coach to take Solomon Yes. In 2010, I did it. Milo asked you to for his agent most mufti at at the point nobody wants to come and play for the blasters since 2008 semi-finals finals semi-finals finals if we continue like this i can assure you and i can bet you anything happened negative concerning the team it's me what is deep deeper poor water eyes with the way to win the world title with my experience it's a no-go area We've come across a lot of featherweights a lot of featherweights and the Isidobe do not match them at all. First of all, I think the GBA itself need a lot of schooling. Expecting to lead the charge. If re-elected, it's the Ghana football will crumble. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, indeed. If that is what is in his mind, then tell him he should stop it. They have to clean their heads. When the voice is Jamata in Ghana's for speak, they speak here on Prime Take. Every Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on Joy News.
best game on the continent. The Africa Cup of Nations. This is absolutely incredible from Bunija. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Am I doing the countdown from the bottom or from the top? Well, uh, welcome to the show. It's the preview edition of AFCON today here on Joy News. My name is Nathaniel Atto, and today uh, we're doing a massive build-up to the very big one itself, the Africa Cup of Nations, which we've been looking forward to for a while now in neighboring Cote d'Ivoire. Now, uh, this is the situation. Uh, the Black Stars will be playing on Sunday, but Cote d'Ivoire need to open the curtain first against Guinea-Bissau. How well have Guinea-Bissau performed in opening games, and how well have Cote d'Ivoire performed in opening games as well? Those are the questions we'll be asking ourselves today. We'll be taking a look at the uh, latest as well in terms of what's been happening with the respective teams and uh, attendance at the AFCON. All is set and good to go. Uh, the Gambia almost, uh, you know, had tragedy, but uh, by the good grace of God, they were able to survive and they are good to go and ready for the action as well. So I uh, would into all of these, we'll be looking into some of the figures as well and profiling some more of the coaches who will be in charge of the respective teams who will be doing battle uh, at the uh, 2014 Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire. Thank you very much for joining us for the show. My guest will be joining me very shortly and uh, I know that you're looking forward to the conversations as well as uh, your predictions as well for the very big ones. Welcome to AFCON today. It's here on Joy News, which is on 421 on DSTV and Joy Prime, which is on 281 on DSTV. Welcome to the show.
government is a military government which will rule with advice from certain eminent civilians in the country. And the players would have to get the job done when uh, there is kickoff time uh, tomorrow. Now, uh, Ivory Coast have won it twice, and all of these have been at the expense of the Black Stars of Ghana, believe it or not. I remember 1992 very, very well as if it was yesterday, and I remember uh, 2015 as if it was yesterday. So uh, Cote d'Ivoire now have a task of uh, doing massive stuff in front of their home fans. Uh, we understand that a minimum of 60,000 fans will be there to watch that game, the opening ceremony and the opening game uh, you know, that Cote d'Ivoire will be playing against Guinea-Bissau. Of course, in terms of interest as well, we'll be looking at the Black Stars and how they'll be opening the tournament up. Who is likely to make up the starting 11? Now, that is one very big debate uh, that has raged on uh, over the period. Akwaja uh, J. Jima is uh, a coach, and he's currently working on his um, UEFA B badges. Um, he's a Ghanaian. He lives in the UK, has massive love for uh, the game of football, has been following, has been doing some scouting as well, and has been very, working with various teams and clubs as well. And uh, he is in town for this football concentrated period. Uh, you follow Passionate Man on uh, Instagram. Great guy, great guy. Akwaja, good to see you, and uh, Happy New Year. Good to see you. Now, it's weird that we didn't, we didn't catch up during Christmas, eh? Was it that you were chilling too much or I was chilling too much? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I came a little bit late uh, this time yeah. around, so I was yeah, just yeah, flying yeah. town a bit late. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, 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 yeah. cool. Yeah, so maybe we'll see what to do with the rest of the new year. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, let, let's begin with, with Cote d'Ivoire. Um, I'm just throwing back to 2008 mm. when Ghana last hosted the tournament and when we, you know, had... You know, this whole euphoria, we had all of the, uh, you know, the people, the buzz around town. It was coming to Ghana for the first time after about eight years, and it was a great thing. You know, in 2000, uh, Ghana co-hosted with Nigeria. And then, you know, and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the fans in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, you know, and, and the players, you know, yeah. with that kind of responsibility that lies on the shoulders of these players to deliver to their home fans who will be uh, the majority of the fans who will be watching these games yeah so i just think that um not it's going to be very important games you know going forward because um the euphoria in ivory is very massive and a lot of people already you know ivory is naturally love football and so i expect a lot from them uh, from the fan days generally across west africa you know how football is is perceived in this part of africa and so it's going to be massive and I also hope that, you know, the tournament lives up to its own expectation, especially the standard of football as well. A lot is expected of the team, the Ivory Coast team. And so I think the more they, pro they progress, the more the tournament, you know, excels. And that will bring that whole euphoria back into the tournament. Be an extra spice for the whole tournament. Well, you've made a very important point, And that's where I want Gary Osmith to begin on. Gary, good to have you here as well. Um, we, we always talk about the home teams and, and how tournaments thrive when home teams do well. Um, in Africa as well, we have another problem, uh, a chronic problem of people not necessarily traveling around for these, these very big tournaments. So thing is, um, we, we want the stands to look good. We want, we want television effects to be maximum. But then we also need to make sure or pray you know, that Cote d'Ivoire does well. Cote d'Ivoire is very lucky mm. for two reasons. One, they are hosting the tournament at a time that, if we begin to count, Senegal have qualified. Access from Senegal to Cote d'Ivoire is very easy. Gambia have qualified. You can go from Gambia to Cote d'Ivoire by road. It's about two or three countries away. Guinea is a neighbor to Cote d'Ivoire as well. Burkina Faso is a neighbor to Cote d'Ivoire. They've qualified. Ghana is a neighbor to Cote d'Ivoire. They've qualified. Nigeria is a few blocks away, they've qualified. So this is even five countries. Assuming it were only these five countries that were even coming, the stadia were going to be filled for a lot of games. Mm. Now think about the fact that traditional powerhouses in Africa who travel a lot, key. Egyptians travel a lot. Mm. For Africans, anywhere they will go. So that's seven countries. Morocco have a big, big population in Cote d'Ivoire because of their historical ties. So that's eight countries that so i've named five countries 
that are neighbors to Cote d'Ivoire and are busing. Um, I'm just from the Adabraka Polyclinic in, 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 in Accra, where they give their meningitis shots. That is now, uh, a mandatory requirement. Yes, yeah, the yeah, meningitis yeah. shots yeah. are a mandatory requirement for you to enter Cote d'Ivoire. And they are swarmed there. I mean, on a normal day, because certain countries, but they were telling me, because I was just doing a report for something else, that because of the numbers going for the AFCON, because when you fill the form, you know, you are required to get a signature. So they can tell the numbers of people who are getting the meningitis shots for the Cote d'Ivoire. And it's, it's, it's there. It's the same story in other places. We are having, we've had a Nigerian here on the show for the last four days, and they are telling us that Nigerian bus companies are busing people by the dozen because, you know, airfare is quite expensive there. So that's, that's what's happening in Cote d'Ivoire, like in that respect. And I'm expecting that uh, if more of these countries I've mentioned qualify, we are going to have some pretty decently filled stadia across the next three or four weeks. And of course, once the stadia are filled, we expect it to be complemented well with quality football. Mm. Um, let's talk about opening games. Mm. Um, well, Cote d'Ivoire, yes, but Guinea-Bissau, half and half in mm. terms of how it could get you to turn a neck immediately once you hear about the fixture. Um, what's your expectation in terms of the kind of entertainment that we're going to get? They always say that there's a thing with the nerves and, you know, uh, the tension in opening games because of that. Sometimes you don't get maximum or you don't get beauty, which is what the, the fans have paid for, plus the goals, of course. I think for a start, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these footballers, you know, for I because... Cause yeah, they took it in 2015, but it's too not much of a solid team. Tactically, when you look at them, you know, Ivorian team, they're not too solid. So they have to start a tournament very, very strong. Especially, they have to play more combinational passes, entertain the fans. It's very important because if you're the host country, what else can you lose? To play these type of games is very important. They have to instill belief into the fans that, you know, a high school line will bring some massive belief into the, into the whole fans and across the country that they can actually do something. So I think these are very key factors for the team and the players as well. There will be a lot of pressure on the coach as well, you know, because it's the host nation. They spend all this money in infrastructure and also in building all these stadiums and uh, these stadiums and all that view. So they have to live up to expectation in terms of, uh, from a tactical point and the pressure on the players. And the key players as well, they have to stand tall, especially when they're going against off in the top matches as well. Can be so, yes, not too much of a strong football country now in this tournament, but you never write them off. You know, especially against the host nation, they're never going to be underdogs, especially with the fans across just coming in. They're going to have a massive support. So opening games, there's going to be nervy, but I still think Cote d'Ivoire would have to calm the nerves that as a team and give the fans entertainment football and win the game as well. Well, Gary, we always, uh, you know, um, draw inspiration from, from history and recent history. Mm. So... Guinea-Bissau would want to draw a lot of energy from 2017, yeah. uh, you know, when they played that opener in, uh, you know, in Gabon and, and held the host to a 1-1-1-all one, one, one draw. Yeah, yeah. Even, even better this time, yep. like you said, he, he alluded to the fact that um, they, they have numbers. Now, and this is according to official information from CAF, mm. Guinea-Bissau are among the top five teams or the top five countries that have bought the most tickets mm. for the group stages of the AFCON. Yeah. Wow. So together with Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, and Egypt. So Guinea-Bissau. I didn't know they had so much money in Guinea-Bissau. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, football, football does yeah. strange yeah. things too. Yeah, yeah, so Ghana is at the fifth. So um, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, Ghana, Egypt, Guinea-Bissau. In, 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 not in that order, yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if the numbers are accurate, from, and this is from CAF, it means then that Tomorrow, you expect Ivorians are going to fill the stadium and make some elephantine noise, right? Mm. And Guinea-Bissau will also be there in their numbers to ensure that they shut the, the host nation up. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be... You know, this morning I was listening to some fans, I mean, yeah. some, some Ivorian indigents, and, you know, they were, uh, you know, giving different angles to the conversation. Because, you see, um, the, the former FA president, Kwesinyan Techi, who's, yeah. who's a former uh, pres- uh, vice president of CAF, uh, granted an interview yesterday, I was talking about but the effect of football, which the tourism uh, you know, industry or the agencies that government sets up to develop tourism do not have mm-hmm. uh, you know, to develop uh, or to develop tourism. Mm-hmm. Football, rather, is a bigger passport 
to getting numbers into, into tourism. Absolutely. And that just goes to tell you that Ivory Coast this year have a big opportunity to sell themselves to the rest of the world all over again. You know, we always know that Francophone African countries are very, uh, you know, mm. upbeat when it comes to, uh, you know, reveling and all of that. Yeah. And Ivorians are topmost on this list. And it also means uh, you, mean, you mean they're up there? They're up there. <laughs> <laughs> Gary has a story he has to tell. <laughs> you know, and, and so then it means that various industries, I'm talking about transportation, hospitality, uh, various aspects of, you know, nightlife and all of that, yeah. you know, the traditional summit de soir that we mm. all know from Côte d'Ivoire wow. is going to come alive. It's, it's been a while since I had that. Yeah, that's that's true. Summit de soir. I was talking yeah. about it last week. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I just think, uh, for me, it goes beyond Côte d'Ivoire. Mm. You know, I think it's an African thing now. Sure. Our music is all over the place. Our dance is all over the place. Our football should be over the place. Yeah. We've got some giants in African football now. This is the best time to sell what we have as a continent. So it goes beyond just, you know, Ivory Coast now. Ivory Coast is just a small piece of what Africa represents. So they have to put up a show to showcase what Africa actually stands for and what, you know, our style of football and what we bring to the world of football. That is very important. And for me, you know, what better country to host the Cup of Nations now than Ivory Coast? You know, a country that is known for partying, a country that also, you know, they're known for great football as well. So bringing the whole friendliness and everything all together, I think that will showcase our football. Also, not to talk about, they are very talented in terms of, you know, football-wise. They've produced some great footballers in the past, so their history backs them over the years. And that, for me, will represent what African stands for on the continent. You know, stuff. Mm. you look at the bigger mm. picture... And you see how African players are not scared now to leave their clubs and come to the tournament. What's the total prize on it? Seven million. Yeah, Most of these players money. are richer than seven million, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, why, but why would they come now? Because of the pride and the ego and what they stand for as Africans. That's where our football is now. And so I just think that this tournament will cement that more. Mm. And, and earlier, you know, Ghana captain Andrea Yu, uh, you know, stated very clearly that he believes that playing in the Africa Cup of Nations is a more difficult terrain yeah. than even playing at the FIFA World Cup. He has always said that. that. Yeah. He has said that for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it goes to buttress this point about yeah. the, the value and the worth of, of the AFCON. You yeah. know. And Gary, do you, do, you, do you get a feel that the AFCON is gradually getting the place it deserves within the bigger mix of world football? Well, yeah. Um, and... Someone will say, why do you say yeah? Mm. So let's try and back it up with some, sure. with some, with some hardcore fact. This edition, the quality of broadcasters that are signing up to show the AFCON mm. is telling. Absolutely. The quality of broadcasters around the world. For the first time, Sky Sports, the Sky Sports, mm. is getting all 52 <laughs> games. Traditionally, they would get a certain number or get from the quarterfinal to the mm. final. Mm. The BBC is getting all 52 games on TV. Mm. That is quite unprecedented. Mm. Back in the day, for those who live in the UK and will remember, it was probably Eurosport yeah. that will probably get it. Now Sky and BBC are going to slag it out in the same country mm. for audience. It's <clears throat> no coincidence because, I mean, the Premier League element is strong. Absolutely. 31 players are coming from the Premier League there, mm. and all these players, you know, come with their own stories. Mm. The profile of the players in the Premier League keeps increasing. A lot of these 31 are starters in their teams, or if they are not starters, they are an integral part. So that's just one, the broadcasting, and then so that's just two, and the players. Then you are looking at the profile of the competition even in the global space right now. Why has it assumed a certain place? Because the, the, the richness or the depth of the stories that are being told from the AFCON are always authentic, exactly. you know. And broadcasters love a, a soft story. Is it Group A that you are looking out for where you have Senegal who are going to defend the title with certain players or Nigeria who have lost about three or four major strikers but Victor Simon can stand up and be counted? Or, you know, is it that Group A is I am Ivory Coast, sorry, sure. and, and Guinea-Bissau as well. So is it that group? Is it Group B? Is it Group C, is it? Yeah. So you are looking at uh, the two other teams. Yes, I, I mentioned Nigeria and Guinea-Bissau. Is it Group B, where you have Egypt, the serial winners, Mohamed Salah, always a big story. And the fact that Mohamed Salah respects the tournament. He does not give Liverpool one extra day. No. When it's time to leave for Egypt, he's gone. 
which is what makes the whole I watched the you know your show about mm. Andrew Nana, mm. which is what makes it a bit annoying because Andrew Nana, your level is nowhere close to Mohammed Salah. Sure. But Mohammed Salah has always said, and, and this is something I love so much about what he said a couple of years ago, that as an Egyptian, it's easier to win the Africa Cup of Nations than it is easier to win the World Cup. Mm. And so he as an international footballer who wants a trophy in his cabinet by the time he retires, why shouldn't he take the Afghan more seriously? You gotta think him. And that's what Andrea Ayu always says. That I mean, let's face it, when he goes to the World Cup, you know, he's not a big boy at the World Cup like he is at the AFCON. So that is why they take it seriously. And so these are some of the reasons why I feel like the AFCON has taken its pride of place. And I think that the journalism angle as well, our colleague Ridwan says that journalism is about storytelling. Right. Mm. I think that the storytelling around the AFCON has improved to an extent that, you know, people are focusing more. There is a realization that the negative stories is enough. Yeah. You know, let's, let's push some more positive stories out there. Because at first, when I was growing up, and, you know, for, for many of us, we, we listened to BBC Fast Track. Every AFCON was predicated by things like, you know, the intros were always negative and they are not paying bonuses. We know what our problems are. Like, we don't have to rub it in our faces. You know, in our traditional parlance, they say, you don't point your hometown with your left with hand. With your left hand, yeah. So, you know, we don't all know our families yeah. have problems. But I'm not going to sit here and, and trash my family. No. I'm going to speak well into the AFCON and say that the players are good, the football is good. You know, if it rains and they, and they are using, you know, at a certain AFCON about five years ago, they were using mops. Mops. Yeah, yeah, mops. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, that's how we do it in Africa, yeah, man. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's what we are. So I think that's, that's why yeah. there's an emphasis on telling the positive stories of Africa, knowing that, Charlie, we have our problems, but how we go do our Yeah. <laughs> Coach Kujo, a.k.a. Passionate Man, lives in a jurisdiction where uh, club football is a standard. You get players who are contributing to their respective national teams, uh, but are contributing a greater deal to uh, the club football and making it that multi-billion dollar product that the rest of the world is scrambling for. So, question to you is, um, amongst you, I mean, and I, and I want you to take yourself out of the space as a fan, yeah. where you guys go and watch these games on a, on a weekly basis, what are the conversations around the AFCON like? I mean, I mean, uh, Gary has given us the facts about all the big broadcasters, you know, mm. making sure that they, they have the franchise as well. Mm. So then it means that there will be conversations about the AFCON in, in England, which is a place where you have big African populations, the Nigerian population <laughs> there, the Ghanaian. I mean, I always love to talk about the Nigerian population <laughs> yeah, in <man>. London. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, if you look back now in the last, probably in the last six to seven years, there's been great African players in the premiership. And so these players have become giants as well. I mean, up until recently, Mani was in the Premiership. You know, you've got Mo Salah. You name them, a host of them. They're, they're almost every single team in, in the UK now, or probably, I don't want to say even the Premiership. You go down to, to the Championship, one, championship like everywhere. The more you go, the more African, the more African players you have. have. <laughs> and these players, you know, they bring, African players bring drive, they bring energy, and also the vision that we have as well. Also, in addition, there's always been an allegiance of African young uh, players that were born in Europe that are switching allegiances. This has become a big talking point. Yeah. So you ask yourself, if England or the Free Lions are pursuing a player like Inketia and there's a conversation about him switching allegiance to Ghana, possibly, or there's a, an allegiance of Danny Welbeck switching allegiance to Ghana, so to speak, then there must be something going on in Africa. So now, over the years, the, the whole temple is built now, the energy is built now. I just think that with the big shots that are leaving their clubs and coming to the tournament, gives it you know, a big eyebrow raise, like, okay, let's pay attention to them. Years ago, you know, ITV would have shown a few, yeah. few matches, yeah. you know, yeah. especially from the quarters or maybe from the semis. But now the attention is on there because everybody is paying attention. Social media has aided everything now. The whole TikTok movement, the players, you know, Sadio Mane just get married and it's all over the place. I'm in Ghana and I've got friends sending me pictures of Sadio Mane's marriage and stuff like that. And these are white boys. They don't even know who Sadio Mane is in terms of Senegal whites. But that's where the game is now at the moment. And I just think that 
African players have done great exploits over the years, and that's paying off now, and so the world is paying attention to our football. All right, so guys, let's just quickly get into the business of talking about these games, which will be the main attraction aside, you know, the nightlife, which, uh, you know, and they're all going to confess, especially Gary. Uh, you know, he has to tell me about his last experience in, in you know, uh, well, disclaimer, I just did a transit, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> you know, so let's, let's quickly have these uh, fixtures again, and I want to take a look at the, the games scheduled for tomorrow. Um, you know, so on, on the 14th, uh, we've got Egypt playing Mozambique and then uh, Cote d'Ivoire versus Guinea-Bissau. We've had, uh, you know, uh, quite a, a conversation about that as well. Nigeria. On March Day 1, we do have uh, one game, which is the opening game. And then on the 14th is Nigeria versus Equatorial Guinea. Let's begin with Nigeria versus Equatorial Guinea. Mm. Um, you know, Nigeria have also had their, their fair share of the disappointment. So... Um, the, the regular confidence with which the Super Eagles will go into the tournament may not necessarily be there yeah. because of the recent occurrences in the qualifiers, yeah. where, for instance, you had Elisutu beat, beat the Super Eagles, yeah. which, is, which is a sacrilege, if you were, dating back yeah. to a couple of years back. Sure. Now, this game uh, and, and what it could bring in terms of the surprise element and what we regularly would expect, which is the Super Eagles winning the game. Mm. It's, it's not that cut and dried. Mm. And, and already, these two teams are going to give us enough drama for one yeah. Netflix blockbuster. Sure. And we know that Nigerians are dominating Netflix now, yeah. so they probably have cameras there. Sure. So let's begin with Nigeria. One, they have a goalkeeper they don't like. The people of Nigeria don't like him. Mm. And, and Stone has been making this point yes. over here oh, yeah. since we started the show. <laughs> uh, you, like, yeah. their number one goalkeeper, mm. they absolutely do not like him, Francis Uzoho. Mm. And you know what? You know the typical African goalkeeper, he will just keep quiet and let the people talk. One day, throw at him, he throws back. Mm. And he... And he tells them, what was the last thing he said? He says, do you think it's easy for a black man to, to be employed by Oibo? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> that's it, because he, he, he's playing in the Europa League and stuff like that. Why don't they like him? He's error prone. He makes some really high profile mm. mistakes. So the second question is, don't they have other backup goalkeepers? They do, but you know the thing about goalkeepers is that you yeah, Of course. If the coach trusts you, he trusts you. That's it. It's as simple as that. It can be annoying, but it is what it is. You know, I mean, for Ghanaians, Ghanaians will recall that uh, Richard Kinson at a time in Ghana's history, he was our number one goalkeeper, but he didn't have a club. Sure. And there was nothing you could tell the coach. Everywhere, our, our, our lovely country, Ghana, we say, nobody do that, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so they are really left with Victor mm. Osimen as the only out-and-out striker, and it's incredible. In the last seven days, Victor Boniface, who was the main striker in Germany, has been injured. Two days ago, uh, Umar Sadiq, who plays in uh, Real Sociedad, has also been injured. He has to be flown to Spain. And then the two players who were flying in as replacements cannot come in time for Sunday's game. So they will not be available. Mm -hmm. Then let's come to Equatorial Guinea. Oh, did I forget that Nigerians also don't like their coach, Jose Pesero? Well, so the only reason why <laughs> they, 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 they have you know, entered this tournament with Pesero was that they just were calculating the figures and thought, okay, you know what, maybe we should just let him. We should him. just let him. Yeah. But they don't like no. So that's The liability was... And then Equatorial Guinea... They are threatening to boycott matches if their appearance fees are not increased. Mm. So, at first, they told when they were going to see, and you know, they made this request the moment they were going to see the president for the farewell dinner. That is when they told the people that, uh, we are going to the president, eh? If we go, tell him that we are taking 3,000 euros minimum, which is say, win, lose, or draw, pay us 3,000 euros or else we are not going. Mm. Now, when they got to the presidency, and the president said, what's the problem? They now told, the captain now told the president that we want 6,000 euros. So they have to bargain for that, else. <laughs> but Joe, you know, it's funny. So you know, I, look, I look at uh, Equatorial Guinea. We're discussing yeah. this yesterday. You look at Equatorial Guinea and mm. their natural mineral wealth yeah. and what 
is siphoned out of there every day mm-hmm. or on a monthly basis. And you ask yourself, what is 3,000 euros or 6,000 euros? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and sadly, their vice president, who is the son of the president, mm-hmm. uh, Teodoro Jr., yeah. is on Instagram and he lives the life, the flashy life, tasting all the golden roses on a daily basis. Traveling and to I'm Paris, sure. he's always <laughs> in Spain. And it's got a house. It's got a house. It's got a flashy cars and everything as well. Yeah, so, so, and, and thing is, six thousand. I mean, why should it even become a subject in Equatorial Guinea? It shouldn't be a problem at all. No, it shouldn't. But you know how it is politics when mixed with football can change the dynamics, isn't mm-hmm. it? So, you know, you, we're talking about Nigeria now, and uh, I just think if I pick it even from a Nigerian stance, I just think that Nigeria for me, I think it's going to be a very tricky one because mm-hmm. tactically they don't really have. Um, a good playmaker at the moment oh. and so in the last few years they've been playing long balls and if you check last last year the whole Nigerian team been playing long balls from the wide areas That's trying to find the, you know either Boniface or trying to find Osimhen so it's going to be a very big problem if they come against teams that do control games that will be very very hard for them there isn't a natural ball jog like this Nigerian team that can you know pull the strings and create more chances hello JJ hello Austin Okocha we miss you there you go (laughs) so there's no culture there hasn't been a biggest problem isn't it exactly it's been that for the last few years now and so they've been playing long balls and then that is very difficult you need your wingers to be as sharp as you can in those type of games but then, as the tournament progresses, you're meeting teams that are quite open and playing more from the wide areas, push, you know, playing high pitch and stuff like that. That's where you're going to find a player like Osimhen getting missing because he needs that number 10 that can you know, find him in those pocket spaces, create more chances for him to be able to you know, do what he does. But then, of course, if he does have the ball in the right spaces, he's going to be a dangerous man for the tournament. So Nigeria, for me, that's where the problem will stem from. But Equatorial Guinea, they play like a total football, kind of trying to control the ball, keep the ball, pass the ball more around. But I don't see them creating a lot of danger, you know, against Nigeria. Except Nigeria becomes very, like a loose cannon. Then they, they can obviously take opportunities in those spaces and then create some dangers. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's absolutely accurate. Absolutely mm. accurate. So Nigeria's biggest problem, like he said, is they have no middle. And Osasio Bayuana, a very senior colleague on the BBC, yeah. Was on, was on this channel this morning on the morning um, show and he was saying that you don't win tournaments without a midfield. It's not, Absolutely. It's not possible. Absolutely. So you may go that far, but when you get to a certain level, you are expecting to see the Senegals and the Egypts and the Moroccos there, they will kill you. Mm-hmm. you know, because they are going to eat up match your possession. Those teams have world-class wingers like you do. They have world-class attackers like you do, world-class defenders, mm. but then you don't have midfielders, you know. And the fact that somebody like, uh, what's his name? Wilfred Ndidi, I forgot to mention that he's also injured. Yeah. Their best defensive midfielder yeah. in the last few years. Mm. So who's going to carry the ball? Who's going to put it forward? And so it's a big, big challenge for Nigeria. And that then places a big responsibility on, uh, you know, on the bench because this is an opportunity. I'm thrown back to 2008. You do remember when um, Lahey Kingston got injured. And out of that situation, you had an Anthony Annan yep. emerge. And, you know, and he, he, he made the position. Himself, well, yeah. yeah, so this could just be an opportunity for, for the bench. And Nigeria have done it before. In 2013... They had a locally based player who stood up to the plate, Sunday Mba. Yeah. Oh, Sunday Mba. <laughs> and you know, he vanished as quickly as he came. Yeah. The he vanished. Was he was We're talking about him yesterday. You know, Sunday Mba was the star of the tournament yeah, who and that's every, every Alaji and every CEO in Nigeria what was looking for to, to thank. But, but that's I mean, the power of coaching then. Mm, yeah. mm. You see, that's where you coaches earn your, your, your salaries mm. because mm. then... All of us pundits, that's what we do. We will go to and sit here and talk. Yeah. And then you, the coach, will say, these people, they don't know what they are talking about. <laughs> then the coach is going to release somebody, somebody yeah. who is going to do their job. And yeah. so, you know. And once again, to that interview that uh, Coach, uh, you know, uh, former President Kusin Yantichi granted to Bolare, uh, he spoke about 2010 and when the Black Stars uh, were looking for that fifth, fifth trophy mm. and how Egypt just unleashed ghetto. Yeah. You know, coaching. In, you know, and this impact sub really lived up to the term impact sub, and he just came in yeah. and deflated our. I, I mentioned a couple of countries we should look out for. Mm. You know, Tunisia, they have qualified for at least every quarter final mm. in the last nine editions. Nathaniel, do you know how insanely consistent you have to be to do that? Yeah. 
nine quarterfinals since 2000. You know, they won in 2004. Yeah. And they've gone on that streak and been in every quarterfinal. You know the secret for them? While everybody is busy looking for, to their European based players, they have a very strong local league. And they know that the secret in Africa and of Africans is that one, we don't read and we don't research. Mm. So, what do they do? Every single Africa Cup of Nations, they bring a couple players that they know your coach will not bother looking at. Mm. Your coach will not bother looking at. And those are the players. There. And if you look at their squad, if you look at the attackers, in fact, the players who will be starting in attacking midfield and at least one of the main strikers will be from the local league. Mm. Very, very good. And that's what Tunisia always do. So you look at the lineup and you go like, oh, as for me and my team, they, they play in Spain. Germany, England, Portugal, Holland. <laughs> no, 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 they're fine. Because, see, the players they produce for the CS Faxian and Esperance, Esperance they always go to the quarterfinal, semifinal of the African mm-hmm. Champions League and the Confederations Cup. And for them, Tunisia are known as the, as the Uruguay of African football. You know why? Because Uruguay is a very small country of 3 million people, but they always go far in tournaments. Yeah. Tunisia are like that. As we speak, Tunisia is the champion of Africa in handball, the, champion, the African champion in basketball, and um, yeah, and some of the other sports as well. So they specialize in being underdogs, and they take the same attitudes to football. So look out for Tunisia in that respect. So teams like Mali, you know why they don't do well? Because you look at the Malian lineup, and mm. oh, this is a Premier League guy. This guy plays in, but when they come together, it's it's something else. Yes, everybody <laughs> like all the coaches. Or it's not just that all the opposition coaches know exactly how the players play. And so they know how to deploy their arsenals against them. Mm. You know. Uh, Gary Smith there and um, you know we'll be doing some more as we go along. We'll uh, dedicate the final lap of the show to Ghana versus Cape Verde, which sure is an area of interest for people in this jurisdiction and outside of it. Uh, thank you so much for staying with us here on AFCON today. My name is Nathaniel Atto. And uh, right now I'm going to bring on Karim uh, of Joy Sports. You know, Karim always brings us head to head, you know, stuff. You know, now we want to quickly look at the uh, you know, the head-to-head business, you know, when it comes to Ghana versus Cape Verde. But before that, let's just quickly go back to that visit that the uh, Ghanaian team, uh, the Black Stars, paid to the uh, Ghanaian ambassador to Ivory Coast. He had some words for them, and he had some uh, inferences from literature uh, to, to put to their thoughts. Let's take a listen to him. It's a great honor and privilege for me to welcome you to Abidjan, the official capital of Côte d'Ivoire. And uh, first of all, I wish to commend you for qualifying to participate in this 34th edition of the all-important African Cup of Nations. Ghana is known as a football nation, and I am sure that you are physically, mentally, and morally prepared to play, not only to play, but to win, because from what I heard, it's over 40 years plus since we last won. And this is the time when we should win to show that Ghana is back. And I can see from, because when I said Bon Appetit, they answered in French, which means that they have already acquired, you know, tactics, French, this thing. So I hope that you're going to perform well. And then that's like when Gilotiza crossed the Rubikin, he said, I came, I saw, I conquered. I want it to be said that you came, you played well, and you won. Okay. So we look forward to Ghana celebrating, you know, your victory. Okay. So this is all that I can say to you. That good luck, and rest assured that the embassy staff and myself, you have our full cooperation and full support. You know, in the achievement that you uh, look to. I think okay, all the best. It's a great honor and privilege for me. Well, I just like the look on Daniel Amate's face. You know Daniel Amate, you know, eating his food and just yeah, nodding. <laughs> I just love that guy, you know. Uh, his facial expressions just remind me of, uh, you know, um, goalkeeper Fatal Dauda and how he used to just, you know, put up a scary look in front of the camera at close range. Well, let's just get down to the business now. Uh, Kid Verd and what kind of threat they possibly pose to the Black Stars in that game on Sunday. Karim. But, you know the 
American fictional writer mm. and aeronautical engineer, mm. Robert Heinlein. He says, <laughs> I'm bringing wisdom from the mountains sure. before we start. He says, a generation that ignores history has no past and future. True. Absolutely. So we want to guide ourselves with history and the past about Ghana and then Cape Verde. Mm. So we start with Cape Verde's last five games. In those five games, it is very similar to what Ghana has in our previous games. See. Three of them in friendlies, two of them competitive games. The two competitive ones, those were the World Cup qualifiers just before this international break that they've played the friendlies ahead of the AFCON. So the two games against, the two first games against Cape Verde, um, against Algeria, and then Comoros, which Ghana have also played in the World Cup qualifiers. They lost 5-1 to Algeria. That's a team that we are looking out as potential champions of this tournament. Then they lost to Comoros. Ghana also lost to Comoros in the World Cup qualifier. Then the two competitive games, the World Cup qualifiers, they managed not to lose, but Ghana, we gave, gave up three points against Comoros. Oh. Then they drew goalless against Angola and won 2-0 against Eswatini. Those were their two World Cup qualifying games. Then on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, they lost 2-0 to um, Tunisia in their final Afghan um, they are final friendly ahead of this AFCON. In those past nine games, they've conceded nine, nine goals and have also managed to score four in those games. Then let's go to Ghana. We've also played five in our last five games ahead of this game on Sunday. We've also played those five games. We've lost three of them. Those three losses came in the two friendlies against the United States and then Mexico. Very bad one day. If you're looking at the number of goals we've scored, in these five friendlies, we scored just one. That is worrying. Yesterday I was talking about us. If you want to win the AFCON, there are some basic things you are supposed to be able to do. That is score goals and concede less or not concede at all. But we've conceded as many as seven here and scored just one. In five games, you are keeping one clean sheet. And we are talking about if you are to win the AFCON, you are supposed to be targeting, keeping at, keeping at least five clean sheets. When Senegal won it the last time, they kept five clean sheets. So we should be targeting five clean sheets. But in our last games, five games, we couldn't do, we couldn't manage even three. We just did one. Then now let's come to head to head. This one is appetizing for Ghanaians and giving us memories of what we've lost <laughs> in the past. Then look at those four games. Look at them against Kivet. In our, we've met them four times. We've not lost any of those four games. And we haven't conceded again. We've not conceded. But we, are, we can't do that now. That's the problem. In, in this phase, the first time we met them was in 2004. Mm. That is at the Bawaii Sports Stadium. 35,000 fans packed there. You could have, you, you, you would just be imagining how the place was like. 30, um, 24 minutes, Michael Lacey and penalty. He mm. scored. Then an own goal, Nelson Vega, 2 0 with one. That is the fourth round of qualifying for the 2004 uh, 2006 World, um, World, World Cup. Cup yeah. Then this was the final game of that World Cup qualifying round. 4-0 in Kibverdi. That is the Estadio da Vazia. 6,500 fans in that stadium. Five minutes yeah. in, do text frame I remember, I remember the celebration. <laughs> <after>. <laughs> yes. Nobody got that was yeah. the final you know, game ahead of our participation yes. in Germany. Five minutes in, do text frame point. The first goal. Mm. 35 minutes, then we have Sule Muntari, all of them from the same um, side of the foot, the left side. Then 75 minutes, Asamwajan. Then in the 87th minute, Gordon Atram wrapped it up with a final goal, 4-0. We are through to the World Cup. Then ahead of the 2018 AFCON, where we finished fourth, then we met them in a pre-tournament friendly. Mubarak Wakaso, he knows how to play against um, Kip Verdi. You see these three goals in um, these two games, he's the one who scored all. Ahead of the first, we were, we were not in the same group, just like going ahead, we've played uh, Namibia in that last friendly ahead of this AFCON. And uh, just like this one, he scored the long goal there. And in the tournament itself, we met them again. We didn't know meeting them ahead of the tournament and we played that friendly. In the tournament, we met them in the quarterfinals. Mubarak Wakaso again, a penalty and an open goal. Done. Seven, uh, we've played them in four games. We've scored as many as one, two, how many? Seven. Uh, six, uh, six, 
That's nine goals scored. Nine goals scored. Nine goals scored, and we've not conceded any. Karim, the head-to-head -head mm. is telling us that at least against Kiverdi, we've not lost against them. Maybe we are hoping that this will not be the time that we we'll lose against them. Well, that's very important, uh, you know, facts that you know uh, Karim has laid as he always does, and he raised a very important point about keeping clean sheets, Gary. Mm. And you know, this is yeah. this is very critical. You know, we've been talking about the goalkeeping department of the Black yeah. Stars, yeah. and the fact that we have an Atizigi there who has been active and has given us recent performances which give us the confidence. You have a Wallacott who went into his first international tournament mm. with relative confidence and did fairly well for someone who was being exposed to the tournament for the first time. Mm. And then you have a Richard Ofori who had been challenged with uh, different bouts of injury spells, but is the, one of the safest pairs of hands in terms of experience. And you need the experience. So then who do we rely on in this situation? If you, you have the opportunity, let me begin with you. Not, I just think from a goalkeeper's perspective or from a coach's perspective, uh, if you go with Atizigi, he's safe pair in you know, safe pair of hands mm. and goalposts, but he's got a bad distribution. And that for me is a is a no no now. And that, that affects building up from the back. Absolutely. Mm. Especially with us, you know, you look at our our fullbacks and how bad the fullbacks are and the way we play now. Mm. That for me is a big problem. So if you play back you know, if you play back with Atizigi, you would have to have ball distribution coming from your defenders, mm. you know, and to be able to pick up and play, start playing from back. And that's where the problem could be. But on the other hand as well, we haven't got a full back. We haven't got a better full backs. The left backs, the right backs, they're not, they're not that good. And so for me, the cohesion from the goalkeeper's perspective, building cohesion with the defense is where we should be focusing more on now rather than, you know, the attack. Because, obviously, in part of the, of the, of the, of the games, you know, you're going to have a season or a part of the games that you would have to be very solid. You know, you have to put up a strong wall to defend. All good teams know how to defend, including Real Madrid and all these big clubs. Mm -hmm. So we have to know how to defend. Because I, I can tell you, this defense is very porous. If we come up, up against all these, you know, sharp wingers running us down the channels, we're going to struggle. We need to rather build from the back. I'm expecting that, the, you know, the full back together, you know, together with the goalkeepers are going to be really solid from the back. And that, for me, we should close all angles, close all gaps. You know, that should be the starting point before we even start talking about how much we can even be in transition. Gary, yeah, Kevin are coming into this tournament with nothing to lose, really. So they come in, they're going to run at us, and, um, and that pace they're, they're known for. Um, they're going to be running at us, and if we have a porous defense, like he said, we should be looking for trouble then, especially yeah. when we want to maintain this clean sheet that mm. we've maintained in terms of the head-to-head -head record. In the group stage, if you are a Ghana, and I'll explain why I'm saying that, you, you want to have clean sheets first because our attackers are not scoring. We are not scoring a lot of goals. Absolutely. If you are a Senegal or uh, an Algeria, you have the luxury of saying that you, you outscore the opposition because you know that you have it in your, your DNA to do that. But you are not. So typically, you know, they say attack will win you games, but your defense will win you the championship. Exactly. So secondly... We are in a 24-team tournament. 24-team tournament means that after they select the top two that are mm. going into the next round, the best into the runners up, round of 16, third-place teams. Yeah, the mm. best they are going there. to pick a number of third-place teams mm. there. And when it comes to that, you want to be the one who has conceded the least number of goals as possible. So that's it. If I were Chris Hutton, I'll be looking at solidifying my defense because the midfield. If he picks the right players, it's not a problem. They, 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 and they can even contribute to goals. I'll be more worried about the defense. That's, that's for me, especially uh, with a side like Kivet. The second thing I would do is that because it's Kivet, with the goodness of respect, it's not your Senegal's or your... You, it's not Egypt. Chris Hutton has been playing with two defensive midfielders. I don't know why he's been <laughs> doing that. Even against Namibia, he did that in front of a home crowd. Like... You know, it's basic football law that you play in front of your home crowd, you go attacking. 
especially in African football, if somebody comes to you, they sit back, you attack. And then you play two defensive midfielders against Namibia. You don't do that. One defensive midfielder, you give them the license to roam, Absolutely. go for it. What does it do? It brings confidence into the setup as well, and it transmits that confidence around the team. Sure. So these are the basics. You know, against Kevin, I'd rather we don't go for the flashy and go for the functional. Mm. Win your 1-0, your 2-0, and get your three points and move. That's what I'll do. I just, you know, <laughs> adding to what Gary just said now, I think, you know, that two-holding pivot he's been playing is what is actually been stopping our fluid, you know, our, our, flow, our free, free-flowing football. Yeah. Yeah. Because what it does is that it puts so much pressure on Kudus to create alone. Yeah. We don't need Kudus to create alone. We need to give Kudus the room to, to be able to receive the balls where he wants to receive them. Because Kudus can play from the wide, can play through the middle, and then he can actually score as well. So we need Ashmiru or somebody else in the midfield with vision that can pass the ball and pick a pass. As we speak now, Samet can't pick a pass. Yep. He's just only static and very flat in midfield. He can't pick a pass. So we need to create, we need to be able to, you know, kind of as a unit, be able to have that movement and clean combinational passes. I don't see those two holding midfielders bringing in those combinational passes. And that, for me, has to be very quick. Because when you watch the Senegalese and all these teams, the Moroccans, they pass the ball so quick, but they know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, if you have to destabilize your opponent, the back line of your opponent, you should be able to know how to move these balls very quick, but at the same time being clever. And Kudus is becoming the only man, you know, like the most creative midfielder in the team. We don't need to do that. Especially when we don't actually have a striker in this team. Mm. So we need to play wide as much as we can, have creative midfielders in the middle, let the midfielders begin to find spaces, because the more wider you play, like the new Amers, you know, stretching the back line of the Okeri. Exactly. That can find Kudus or Inaki Williams, somebody running into the box, because we know Inaki Williams is being played out of position. And so, if we're playing out of position, we're going to fall on our midfielders to be able to score goals. If they don't get into the box, your chances of scoring is going to be very minimal. So we need to play more wider. You know, the numbers, you know, threatening from the wide areas. Then it frees up the space in midfield. Then the midfielders can run into the box. And then when they do, then we know we're going to have a chance. If not, it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And I give the license to the wingers, especially in a game like Cape Verde, sure. whose defenders are not the greatest themselves, to run at them. So, yeah. you know... It's not a game where you want to draw too many fouls, you know. So Jordan Ayu, yeah, he's good. But this is a game where I'll run the younger players who are fast and going to run at them 90 minutes. So I'll, I'll, I'll play Bukhari. I, I, would, I, would, I would prefer Bukhari, you know, ahead. Do you know why I say that? Because I just think that, first of all, Jordan Ayu, we haven't really applied him as a proper number nine. Mm-hmm. We've always played him a bit on the wide, mm. and that doesn't help. If he's a striker, he should be at the end of the balls, receiving the end of the balls in the 18 box. He shouldn't be playing from the wide. He's, you know, for God's sake, he's not Mbappe. Do you know what I'm saying? Mbappe can do that from the wide areas and cut through or through the middle. If Jordan plays as a center forward, let's keep Jordan as a pivot, as a center forward, out and out, in the box. Let's have midfielders create chances around him. We're, denied, you know, we're giving Inaki Williams a big disservice. Yeah. The man is not a center forward. So let's apply, let's give him, you know, let's bring out his values. He plays, you know, Atletico Bilbao, he plays from the wide area or from the attacking position. So that's when he has a full glance of the goalpost and he's able to be more effective. What we're doing to him, we're, you know, we're causing him, you know, denying of service. Exactly. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. Of course, this, this show is a very big test for the Black Stars of Ghana. And um, as has been said on several occasions, the best way to start is to pick the three points and just uh, wait. And for, for Ghana as well, it becomes very crucial to keep as many clean sheets as possible because just in case, just in case, if uh, in the unlikely instance that things go the way they went in Cameroon, then we may have to rely on, you know, head-to-heads and that. I don't know why you're smiling. Oh, but, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully we don't get there. I hopefully mean, we don't but, get but there. But Cameroon was, was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. It was bad. I mean, yeah. Cameroon was terrible. And, and it, gave, it, gave us, it gave all of us a, a big wake-up call as yeah. well. It did. I think it did. 
Yeah, it did. Uh, part of it was also because, you know, transition of players coming into the team. Sometimes you have to mix experience with you know, energy. Yeah. And that's where football is now. And for us as Ghana, we rely on the energy that brings to the team. Because football has become more than athletics than any other, any other sports now. And so if the talent is there, if they can play, let's mix it with some energy as well. That is what can give us what we're looking for. If not, you know, we're going to rely on passing the ball because modern football demands keeping the shape of the team that requires a lot of energy running back and forth back and forth I don't see that with the Ghana team we lose the ball and we're still caught up in the same hole mm. and uh, there's no tracking back these are basics in Basic the game things. I mean, and if we don't do these I mean Nathaniel the guy took the ball Let's just go. after the center line he had time to touch the ball one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times Nobody touched him. Nobody came to him. That is unforgivable. Yeah. Unpardonable. Yeah, unpardonable. <laughs> unforgivable, unpardonable. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a bit like you say, it's the basic. Unacceptable, unpardonable, <laughs> unforgivable. You know. <laughs> yeah. Gary, uh, final thoughts. We're going into uh, a whole month of, of intensive football action. Yeah. This time is a 2014 tournament. Well, yeah. Um, Storylines are plenty. There'll be lots of football. And, um, you know... Uh, for Ghana, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, <laughs> worry. There'll be a lot of worry. You know, uh, Gary looks like a finance minister in certain <laughs> who's been told to explain how the currency would fare in the, in the next, you know. You know, so like, people are worried. People are worried that the Black Stars are not going to do much because, mm-hmm. to be fair, they've not given us much to, to be confident about. So we'll see how it goes. And yeah, this is their photo shoot from. The official cuff. Um, yeah, you know, I, saw, came, I saw it this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, every team has one, and these are these are our stars. We are parading and go Ghana, go. Yeah, mm. I like That's the right. way you know Richard Furry clapped. You know the sound of his gloves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you let's uh, wrap this up now. Uh, expectations for the big weekend. Well, uh, from for Black Stars, if I'm to start from there, you know, I expect the coach is experienced to come to the fore. You know, for these type of games, I expect him also to know his players, yeah. the quality of the players, and use them as such. I expect the team for the first time to start playing from the wide areas. I also expect a little bit of push from the high, you know, the fullbacks as well. Let them double it into the midfield and create some chances. I also expect that the players themselves will believe, you know, about their own horizon, and then hopefully we'll see. And I also expect that you're going to be with us uh, on our various channels throughout the AFCON for all the best analysis and all the best news. Good afternoon. Welcome to the marketplace. Coming up, IMF board likely to meet on January 18 after bilateral creditors completed work on terms for restructuring of Ghana's debts, more as the IMF acknowledges progress made with the debt restructuring. Between Ghana and the official creditor committee are ongoing. Good progress is being made and we're confident that an agreement can be reached soon. Also coming up, business strategist and lawyer David Ofosudote warns current tax levels and interest rates could collapse some enterprises and hurt the economy. We tend to stabilize the macro by destroying the micro. Interesting. And, yeah. I mean, if you overtax the businesses, you are essentially killing the businesses at the micro level. My name is Daryl Kwao. Thanks for being with us. Details coming up.
thanks for staying with us. We want to begin with the latest from the IMF. The board is likely to meet on January 18, 2024. That is in about a week's time after the bilateral creditors finalized work on terms for restructuring Ghana's debts. This will now allow the fund to disburse some $600 million to Ghana after the meeting. George Afi has the latest. The new date on Ghana this time round is expected to happen because all the bilateral creditors, including China, have agreed on the proposed terms for restructuring the country's debts. Joy Business understands that the cut-off date is now pegged at December 2002 for restructuring Ghana's debts. We also understand that unlike the previous dates, the creditors are now about to issue that letter of comfort or what they call memorandum of understanding to the IMF today, or possibly next week. This will give the IMF the needed financing assurance for the staff to go to its board on Ghana. We also understand that the necessary documentations have been sent to the IMF staff for it to send to the board to aid the meeting on Ghana. About $600 million should hit Bank of Ghana's account maximum two days after the IMF board meets on Ghana. The proposed date of January 18. 2024. In time, the IMF has acknowledged Ghana's, uh, the progress Ghana has made with the external debt restructuring. Take a listen to Julie Kozak, who is head of com- the communications department. On Ghana, um, on October 6th of 20. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.